Thank you. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see everybody. And for those watching online, it's good to be seen by you. So there you go. <laughs> I, was, I had commented at the services last night that being here, it feels like we haven't missed any time apart. You know, it's how family works. Um, there's really no distance. And so being here together again, it just feels like we were here last week and we haven't really missed each other. So that's a, a fun thing to experience. Hair. <laughs> well, the question that I have posed here for this message and a question that's been rolling in my mind and in my heart off and on through pretty much my whole life, but uh, one that I want to look at today is, is Jesus enough? Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that the answer, of course, is yes, right? Jesus is always the answer. That's yes. It's no big deal. Um, but... Particularly, I think, in American culture, it's, it's easy to say that, yes, of course, he is enough. Um, but do we really experience that yes? Is it incorporated into every part of our life and into our circumstances? Because if we have comfort taken from us, if we have freedoms taken from us, if we're faced with difficulty, that question, is Jesus enough, kind of comes staring right into our face. And we really have to look at it and address it and not just answer yes robotically, um, but it's something that our heart needs to wrestle with, and our yes really needs to be incorporated into every part of our life. And so I wanna look at that question, is Jesus enough in the context to not only cover our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but to also transform us into the new creation that God says that we are? Is what Jesus did on the cross enough to bring healing over our brokenness, comfort to our anguish, peace to our worries and our anxieties, hope to our disappointments, strength to our weakness and our weariness. Is he enough to satisfy our unanswered questions or when all that remains at the end of the journey is mystery and it doesn't feel like we have any answers at all? Is Jesus still enough? Is he enough to satisfy all of it? Is he enough to cover every part and piece of the complexity of our humanity? There can be several different ways we can go about answering that question. And the process that I want to present to you today is to answer that by doing an overview, brief overview, of the book of Leviticus. Mm, don't everybody get too excited right now. Just calm, stay in your seats, people. Stay in your seats. Leviticus, no big deal, we can do this. It went really well last night, so hold on, we're gonna have some fun. Uh, Leviticus is an easy read, right? We all read it and we get all amped up, right? Yes, there we go, interaction, it's good. Leviticus picks up right at the end of where Exodus leaves off. Um, at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle was completed. The glory of God fills that tent with his presence, his holiness, um, resides there. That's the place where his actual physical presence dwells. But because his presence is so holy, nobody can enter into it. Well, here's my presence. Oh, but don't come near because you're going to die. Not even Moses could enter in. And you would think if anybody could enter in at that time, it would have been Moses. God referred to Moses as his friend. They were close. They had good connection. But not even Moses could enter in. And it was because of humanity's sin, because of their darkness, because God is holy and because we're not, 
that we couldn't enter into that place of his dwelling. And given that we're 2,000 years or so past the cross, I can't wrap my mind around being in a time and a place where we wouldn't have access to God's presence. It's always been an option for us. I can't imagine not being able to enter into the throne room of God. Sounds like a spoiled kid, doesn't it? But it's not. It's a beloved kid that gets to go and see their dad anytime. Jesus did that for us. So to, to read what people had to do to be considered holy is pretty meticulous. But now we enter into it so freely because of what Jesus did for us. We have God's presence not only through visitation, but also through habitation. We're that tabernacle now that the presence of God dwells in. So the question we have at the end of Exodus, how can we live in God's presence? The, that problem being that God is holy and we're not. God is light and we're not. God is perfection and we're not. It's everything that we're not. Light is a substance. God is light. Darkness is just an absence of light. Humanity lacked light. Those two cannot coexist with each other. So to be able to enter into God's presence, we have to become like him. And in Exodus 11:44 it says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, meaning be sacred and set apart. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy as I am holy. But how are we supposed to do that? With our sin and our brokenness and our lack of light, how is that even possible? Why would God ask us, declare that over us? Be holy, for I am holy knowing full well that we wouldn't be able to achieve that. So God, in his mercy and in his kindness, set up a system. And that system is laid out in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus answers those questions and addresses those problems with what is called atonement. And that's just a wiping clean, a de-sinning, so to speak, a paying a ransom price. Atonement is paying the price to make humans and God alike so that we can enter into his presence. That system of atonement was done through offerings. There are three main types of offerings. There's the burnt offering or the whole offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. And at the time, it was important that these offerings were not seen as humanity's attempt to appease God or to try to earn his favor. The offerings in Leviticus are God's gracious gift to humanity to allow them to be forgiven and to live near God's presence. Just as the cross of Jesus, it's all by grace that we're saved through faith in him. It's not our works. Even then, in the Old Testament, God's like, no, it's still not about the effort that you put into the sacrifice. It's still my gracious gift towards you. And so this is the mindset that they had to have going into this. So burnt offerings, that was when the worshiper would take a whole animal and they would sacrifice it on the altar and present it to the Lord. And it was the most costly of all the sacrifices because they didn't get to keep any portion of the animal. A grain offering was when the worshiper would bring, a, well, bring whole bread or grain, give some to the priests, it would be burned on the altar, but then a portion of that grain, was they were able to keep that for their food. The priests were able to keep that. That was one of the, the benefits of being a priest. And in the peace offering, the worshiper brings the animal and it's sacrificed before the Lord. But then a portion of that, they were able to keep and they were able to eat that with their family. And it's a picture of sitting down with the Lord, having a meal with him, with your family in God's presence. One of the other main ways in which Holiness was maintained was through the work of the priests. 
priests had to be purified of their sin before they were even able to offer sacrifice and offerings for the purification of people. They needed to be without blemish because they had to represent God perfectly. So the priests had to be represented perfectly. Their sacrifice had to be represented perfectly. And all those meticulous particulars, as I call them, had to be done in order for them to even attempt to um, make atonement for the people. So there was a lot in place. The sacrifice had to be perfect in order for the worshiper to be able to symbolically transfer their sin onto that innocent sacrifice and to receive that sacrifice's purity in the exchange that took place. At the center of the book of Leviticus, at the center symbolically and literally, something critical took place, and that is when the priest got to go in once a year um, to the center of the tabernacle into the presence of the Lord and offer atonement there, and that is called the Day of Atonement. This was the one time where they were able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And I know we know that, but think on it for a moment. Because those priests, when it was their turn to go in, had to have been a fearful time for them. You know, they had to tie the little rope around their waist so that if something, if they messed up and they died, all their priest friends could pull them out of the tabernacle because nobody else could enter in. And it's not because God was being mean. He wasn't like, oh, you messed that line up, you're done. It's because the holiness of God, the standard is so high, it is unlike anything else. And we are so unlike him that to enter into that and to not meet that standard of holiness, it's not a good situation. (laughs) So what a fearful thing for a priest to be like, oh dang, it's my turn, it's my year, I'm up. But also what a fearfully wonderful thing to be able to go behind the veil and into the center of the tabernacle where the presence of God resided. Leviticus 16 tells us that there were two main sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. The first one was a bull sacrifice, and that was to cover the sins of the priest, but also the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies, and it was put on the mercy seat of God. The blood of the bull also represented a cleansing of the tabernacle as well. The second sacrifice required or consisted of two goats, one lucky goat and one unlucky goat. (laughs) The first goat, the priest would lay hands on the head and they would symbolically transfer the sins of the people onto the goat. And then the goat would be sacrificed in the presence of the Lord. The blood would be taken into the Holy of Holies, put on the mercy seat of God. The second goat, kind of the same situation where symbolically the the sin and the guilt was transferred onto the goat, but then that goat got to be released out into the wilderness never to return. Yay for that goat, right? Um, And that was a symbol of our sin, of their sin, the Israelites' sin being taken away from them and not to come back. The problem with this system, though, is that the effects were only temporary. Leviticus does not depict a finished system, but it points to something much greater. Because back then, people could not stop sinning. It was still in their nature. And they were constantly reminded of their sin and their guilt because of the offerings and the sacrifices that continually needed to be made. Priests would stand at the altar daily to make atonement for people unceasingly. And while the system allowed for the sin to be paid for, 
taking the penalty for sin, the problem left is that it didn't create light within that person. It didn't change the very nature of humanity, and so the cycle of sacrifice and offerings continued. Imagine being in that culture and being in that time where you're constantly reminded of your sin and of your guilt and of your shame and of your unholiness and of your darkness because you're constantly surrounded by sacrifices and offerings going on. We don't even like being confronted with our shortcomings now. They make us uncomfortable. We don't want to be held accountable. It's icky, right? But being in a time and a space where it's part of the culture and you're seeing it regularly, you're constantly being reminded how gracious of God that he takes our sin and removes it as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't remember it anymore. So we don't have to be reminded of it either. So all of that was a momentary glimpse of what was to come. Everything pointed to the cross, something else far into the distance. And if we ever are able to enter into God's presence, we would need a better priest, one without need of sacrifice for himself, one without sin who can enter into the Holy of Holies all on his own accord. And it points to the final day of atonement. Today we have a better day of atonement, for Jesus is the new high priest. I'm going to read in Hebrews 4, 14. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So then, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us, and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. While priests had to go in, Once a year, Jesus did once and for all. Heaven gave its absolute best offering, its pure and spotless lamb. Jesus is not only the priest who brings the perfect sacrifice, but he is the perfect sacrifice. The curtain that separated us from the holy of holies, from God's presence was torn, and we now have eternal access to his presence. No longer do we need to bring our offerings to God because God became that offering for us. Leviticus was the starting block, and Jesus is the finish line. And when we read through the system of sacrifices and offerings, when we see the bulls and the goats and the dovetails and the fatty liver lobes and the grain and all of those meticulous particulars, we see just how much is needed to make atonement for all of our wrong. We see how much it costs. We see that something had to die. Something continually had to die to take away our darkness and to turn it into light. It points to God making a way where there didn't seem to be any other way to enter into his presence freely. Because Jesus is the true whole burnt offering who gave himself completely for us on the cross. He held nothing back to turn to give us our atonement, our cleansing and our de-sinning as our place as children of God. Jesus is the final grain offering who provided that final sacrifice of his own body, which he called the bread of life. And as the grain offering provided food for the priests, Jesus' sacrifice is what sustains all believers as his new priest to the world because we are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the peace offering 
We get to sit down in a communal meal with God and with his people. And when Jesus returns, we're going to sit at a physical table with Jesus being present. What the system of atonement did partially, Jesus fulfilled completely. He made a better way for us to enter into God's presence. And if Jesus fulfilled all of those meticulous particulars and made a way for us to enter into his Father's presence, then he is certainly more than enough for anything we could ever possibly need. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He asked his Father if there was another way. But ultimately, he aligned his will with the will of the Father, and he was obedient, and he did so because he wanted us. He wanted us, and so he endured the cross, and the cross was a means to get us back. The cross is what reveals our value. It shows how much heaven was willing to pay in order to get us back and to bring us into right relationship with God, to bring us out of darkness and turn us into light. Ephesians 5.8 Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. I like the Passion Translation, what it says. A lot of other translations says that he has transferred us from the kingdom realm of dark to light and transfer meaning like to move over, which is great. But this has translated. It's like we're being rewritten into a new creation. I like the, the ideal, of the, the, the visual of being rewritten. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light, and they will never walk in darkness again. Because Jesus was fully man and experienced life as we do, as I just read in Hebrews 4, he can relate to us on every level. He knows exactly what we're going through. He understands our experiences. He took on humanity's sin and what sin produces. Sin produces guilt and shame and pride and all of the ugly stuff that used to reside within us. He took that upon himself. He became the actual solution, the actual answer. He is the fulfillment of every need that we have. And since Jesus fulfilled it all, the Bible says we are made complete in him. We are his new creation. We're not just a polished up, cleaned up version of our old self, but we're entirely brand new. We've been rewritten. I was having a conversation with someone not too long ago, and they had said how they still carry a lot of guilt for things that they've done back in the day, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And they ask God's forgiveness over that particular guilt just about every day because they carry it so deeply. And it was a really sad conversation and it broke my heart because God's mercy is, his forgiveness is available to that person. And they're constantly lamenting. They're offering that sacrifice of God, please forgive me. But they're not receiving that forgiveness in return. And it's like saying to Jesus, Thanks for what you did, but it wasn't enough for what I have to carry. I know you endured a lot, but it's not enough to cover what I have. And I know that everybody, we're all in a process. We're all in a journey with the Lord. In some way or another, we're all growing deeper in him and allowing the word of God to change and transform us. So my encouragement to you with that is to keep going. <laughs> Don't stop with that. Keep abiding in Jesus. He's our life source. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we need. Leviticus pointed to it, and Jesus completed it. I often say that Jesus always finishes what he starts. And in fact, on the cross, he proclaimed that it is finished, and so it is. Everything we come up against in our lives is an opportunity for us to see the finished work of Jesus play out in our life. I think that's good, so I'm going to say it again. Everything we come up against in our lives is an opportunity for us to see how the finished work of Jesus works out in us. So not only can we enter into God's presence now, also God's presence can enter into us. We are his dwelling place. So sit on that for a moment and soak up that reality and let that revelation change every part of who you are to make you more like him because he is definitely more than enough for anything that we could possibly need. Okay, at this time, we are going to watch a video with some words of knowledge. So if you have prayer for anything, if you identify with that, acknowledge that in your heart. For those of you watching online, these are for you as well. We're gonna watch the video and then I'm gonna come up and just give kind of a blanket declaration and prayer over those things. So I think we're ready for the video. Hello, my beautiful Got some words of knowledge for you, and I also have this beautiful sunset for you, for all you beautiful people. Words of knowledge. Um, depression, something in your chest, lower back, and grief over children who've made bad decisions. And then you are far more an overcomer than you realize. It's time to step out, be bold, and it'll be easy, and you'll be a free person. Pastor Dan will explain uh, how you can get prayer for that, those are the words of knowledge from us. Bless you all. Okay, I'll go over those again. So the words were depression, chest, lower back, grief over children, maybe uh, prodigal children. Um, oh, I can't read my writing. Oh, and that we are more, you are more than an overcomer, and so to step out, step out in faith. So if you identify with any of those, acknowledge that in your heart, and I'm going to pray. Or if you'd like to stand to, to recognize those, that's fine too. Or you can come up, absolutely fine. Standing in for Sarah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesus, thank you that you are more than enough. And we come to you now with the opportunity for you to show us that you're more than enough. And we stand believing for your goodness over our lives and your goodness over all of these people who identify with these words. God, in Jesus' name, we just say depression, leave right now. Tightness of chest, be loosed right now in Jesus' name. We Declare healing over Sarah right now in the name of Jesus, a full restoration of her lungs, full capacity, full working. Thank you, God, for the work that you're doing in her. And anybody else with tightness in their chest or any other issues, receive healing right now in the name of Jesus as he washes over you. Lower back pain, be loosed and be gone in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for parents and grandparents 
that are lamenting and praying over their children for any grief, I pray that you would replace that with joy and that you would continue to burn a fire in them to pray for their children, for their lost ones. Um, God, we call those kids back to you in Jesus' name. We pray that you would give parents and grandparents wisdom to know how to minister and bless and to raise their children in the name of Jesus. And for those who need to know that you are more than a conqueror, we just say faith rise up in you in the name of Jesus. You are a dwelling place of God. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion and that lion is being released right now and his name is Jesus and he's inside of you and he's upon you and he's the great reality of your life. So step out in faith with those. God, I bless this church. I bless this congregation in Jesus' name. May we be a people of your presence, that we walk in your presence, that we exude your presence, and that when we go anywhere, because of your presence, atmosphere changes and things begin to shift, that the kingdom of God would be ushered into here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Yay. Phase one, church, we're done. <laughs> you are more than welcome to hang out for a little while and fellowship. Um, and thank you all for coming out. It was good to see you, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>